Did you know that Stanford football has had a 99% graduation rate for nearly a decade, the highest in the nation? Welcome to season two of The Daily Brew from the Stanford Daily. This is Chloe Brow and Laylee Razvani. To commence our new season, The Daily Brew is introducing a series called Coffee Chats, where we feature stories from other sections of the Stanford Daily. To kick off the series, here's a roundtable discussion from sports. Hosting this episode is Daniel Martinez-Crams, Sean Reddy, Sally Egan, and King Jemison. Stanford is coming off its best win of the season, a 23-13 defeat of then-number 15 Washington in Stanford Stadium. The Cardinal outclassed, outperformed, and most importantly, outran the Huskies. The injury bug bit again, with both Davis Mills and Henry Hazes exiting the game, but Stanford will have most of its squad up for the Thursday night matchup with UCLA next week. After a loss to Oregon State, the Bruins sit at the bottom of the Pac-12 South. Here with me are the dailies King Jemison, Sally Egan, and Sean Reddy to talk offensive surprises and disappointments, the state of the defense, challenges that UCLA presents, and a little bit of recruiting. Cam Scarlett, not only the conference's leading rusher, but his 564 yards rank 15th in the nation. With a line that has been nothing short of decimated and uncertainty at quarterback, Scarlett is playing like he is trying to convince someone he belongs on a roster next season. How remarkable is Cam? This season, Cam has shown us that he can be a steady and reliable running back, but we haven't really seen him make any dynamic or explosive plays. Last year, it was a lot of the same, but this year, he's been a lot more consistent, which has been nice. Even though we've had a a variety of different defenses and defensive fronts, Cam's averaging uh, just over five yards per carry, or just just over four yards per carry, which is a, a really solid average considering how many carries that we're giving him. And considering the fact that he's been the center point of the offense for this, the majority of the season, yeah, definitely. I think he's at he's at four point four yards per carry. And for for context, Bryce Love finished last season at four and a half yards per carry, and that was with you know multiple long runs and a lot fewer carries per game than Scarlett is getting right now. And based on his five hundred sixty four yards in the first six games, uh, he could finish with a, a top ten rushing season in Stanford history, which is pretty crazy to imagine considering he's a fifth year who's never started before, uh, but he, he just really runs hard. Um, like you were saying, he does not have the explosive potential that Bryce Love and Christian McCaffrey most certainly did, but he just definitely does have that grittiness that I think is so important for the Stanford team because the offensive line is, is good, not great. They've shown some definite potential uh, really over anything I could have imagined for them, considering they're starting three true freshmen at this point. But Cam Scarlett really helps them out because he falls forward and he gets extra yards after contact, never lets the first man bring him down, uh, never lets himself get dragged down way behind the line unless he's just absolutely swarmed. He usually finds a way to turn even no hole into a couple yards, which you know I think that might be the perfect match for the Stanford team. Yeah, no, going off of that, I think that Cam Scarlett has shown that last season when he was he was filling in for Bryce Love during um, when Love was hurt, and he played very well in that time, and I think he's showing that that was not a fluke. I think the one area that he could improve upon this season is last season uh, he performed much better in the red zone and had five touchdowns in the red zone and was averaging two yards per carry. Um, 
from the opponent's twenty or nineteen yard line to the goal line. This season, he is uh, only averaging one yard per carry in that uh, distance, and only has two red zone touchdowns so far. So I think if uh, Cam Scarlett can re- start reproducing a little bit more what he did in the red zone last year, I think um, it'll really like show what a dynamic football player he is. The Stanford defense, on the other hand, has held two good Pac-12 offenses below six yards per play. That was Oregon, which was limited to 5.9 yards per play, and Washington at 5.1. Against USC, UCF, and Oregon State, it was in a completely different picture. They allowed at least seven yards per play in all of those, and USC was up near eight. Is the defense trending in the right direction and making real progress? What defense do we actually expect to come out against UCLA? To me, the answer is pretty darn simple. Uh, when the defense gets pressure, they can be really good. When they don't get pressure, they're going to get absolutely torched. That's been almost universally true for every game. Uh, and, you know, just some stats to, to point to the fact that pressure is the key. Stanford got four sacks against Oregon. They have a good defensive performance, hold down a pretty good Ducks team. They have four sacks in the first half against Oregon State. Shut out the Beavers in that first half. Then they get zero sacks in the second half. Beavers score 28 and almost steal that game. And then in the Washington game, just two sacks, but six quarterback hurries. Jacob Eason was running for his life the entire game. Sure enough, you can hold UW, a good UW team, to 13 points. But on the other side of things, against UCF and USC, only one sack in those two games, like zero other quarterback hurries. Basically, they got no pressure, and sure enough, they give up 45 points both times. So I think for, for Stanford, because the secondary is young and inexperienced and uh, the secondary outside of Paulson Adebo, maybe not the most talented unit, they need some help from the pass rush. And this pass rush has a lot of potential. I love what Casey Tuhill is doing this year. I love guys like Gabe Reed, Thomas Booker, who are starting to make more plays as the year goes along. They're really the leaders of this defense. Um, and so when they come through, I think that Stanford can be pretty pretty elite. But when they don't come through... Uh, that's when Stanford is going to really show those those woes in the passing game that kind of were there all year last year as well. Good news for the UCLA game. UCLA is 80th in the country in sacks allowed per game. They're giving up 2.3 per game. Uh, they definitely have a very weak offensive line, um, and so I think that's something Stanford can take advantage of to have a good defensive performance against the Bruins. Yeah, Stanford's really, really going to have to rely on their on their pass rush this week, and it's it's the case with any any good football team that the the pass rush is essential to 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 keeping the quarterback uh, pressured and 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 keeping the offense off the field. But Stanford, after last week's after the last few weeks of really dismal performances on defense, were ranked uh, ninth in total yards allowed in the entire FBS, seventh in yards per play allowed after teams like UTEP and Troy and UConn. The secondary has just been 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 really inexperienced and shown that there's they just allow a lot of, of large plays, which is something that that's not sustainable. So we really just have to hope that that the the pass rush gets home this week, and guys like Casey Tuhill and Jordan Fox can can get pressure on on Dorian Matt, Dorian Thompson Robinson and contain him in the pocket because he's also a rushing threat. Yeah, no, I I would agree with both King and Sean. Um, I think. One other thing worth pointing out is uh, the quality of the offenses that Stanford has played against. Um, when Oregon and Washington are both, neither 
USC, UCF, and Oregon State all ranked above Oregon and Washington in total yards uh, per game. And uh, UCLA is UCLA is below Washington. So if if the uh, Stanford defense continues this trend of playing playing well against the lesser offenses, and I think that they should be fine against UCLA. I got a question for y'all. Who do, who does everyone think is the most important Stanford defensive player? I'd have to go with Paulson Adebo for sure. The ability to lock up the opponent's number one receiver, and even though he has he's shown lapses in that department, he's by far the most talented and skilled player on the defense with the most upside and the most draft potential, the most uh, the, the biggest potential for an NFL future. If 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 the Stanford defense can just really really lock down the secondary and really get some experience among their safeties it just it really eases up the 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 pressure on the defensive front and the pressure to create pressure if Paulson can can live up to the expectations that he created after such an awesome and impressive 2018 season it's going to really really uh, boost the Cardinals prospects on defense I think it has to be Casey Tuhill. I mean, as you mentioned, the pressure that he puts on a quarterback is really what's defining the season for the Cardinals, especially on defense. But more than that, he's a captain. He's a leader. When he's playing well, it seems like the whole unit works off of him and has a better game. And we've seen in some of his best games, Stanford has played its best on defense. Yeah, I have to agree with Daniel. I think that um, the... Uh, the pass rushers in this case, but I would have to go with Gabe Reed or Javon Swan. I think both of them had very strong seasons last year. Gabe Reed led the team with five and a half sacks, um, and I think if he can start reproducing at that sort of a level this season, um, I think that could really uh, uh, provide a boost to the Stanford defense. Sally, as you alluded to earlier, the lack of execution in the red zone has been a serious problem for these Cardinal. And maybe the most concerning was in last game, two trips to the red zone, deep into the red zone, both ended in field goals. At times, it just doesn't make sense what they're doing out there. It's two, two straight runs both times and then a low percentage pass. That's not going to get it done. Where is Stanford going wrong in the red zone? The thing is, is that that offensive style should work, and that that's really uh, indicative of the same style that that, uh, that David Shaw has been using for so long. The run, the run, and then a play-action pass, right? And the issue with that is it's entirely reliant on, one, creating solid and consistent running plays on first and second down, whether it's two yards, three yards, four yards, whatever it is, you just have to get positive yardage. And two, we have to have a quarterback that can successfully execute that third down pass. And if if each one of those, if each of those two things, if either of those two things falls out of the equation, the offense kind of kind of falls apart. We're just going to see three and outs over and over again. We're just going to see two yard, three yard runs over and over again, and incomplete passes. But we just have to really make sure that the offensive staff just really has to make sure that their play calling on those third down passing plays are are strong enough and creative enough to get the job done. Yeah, I honestly think you answered that question when you asked it because when you say run, run, pass, two straight trips in the red zone, two straight trips to the one-yard line, you come up short, it just hints at the fact that creativity is so important in red zone play calling. And we know that David Shaw, is he's, he's a known creative play caller. He really, he really likes to go out of his box and uh, experiment. 
he's always been on the cutting edge of football offensive schemes. But uh, yeah, it's gotten particularly bad in those red zone situations. Think about the Stanford special back against Oregon State and what a huge boost to this team that was. I'm not saying you need to be running trick plays every time, but in the red zone, the defense is going to be totally keyed in on the run when you're playing against Stanford because you know that's what David Shaw wants to see. He wants to see Cam Scarlett bulldoze his way into the end zone. But when the defense is completely ready to stop that and they've got their backs against the goal line, that's usually not going to be something that this Stanford offensive line is going to be able to, to execute. And last year, the crutch was, of course, the fade to J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. Although these receivers have shown a lot of great things, there's no J.J. There's nobody who's just snatching every ball uh, from the defenders on a fade route. So they just got to find new ways to, to scheme wide receivers open. I think that's been my biggest complaint at times with the Stanford offensive scheme this year. Not been so much the reliance on the run, because I think they've actually had really nice balance, but the route trees are just so bland sometimes. I mean, in the Oregon game, I was talking to some other people who cover Stanford. They were complaining very loudly that it was either four verts or fourth grade curls every single play for every single wide receiver. Um, So you just got to find ways to, you know, maybe you run a rub route and you know get a guy open that way or maybe run some slants some crossing routes anything that can maybe sneak a a tight end wide open in the corner of the end zone you just can't expect to run straight into the teeth of the defense on the one yard line and punch it through every time yeah I would agree with uh with King on this I think the very basic formula of run run pass it's just it's way too predictable um, Daniel, as you pointed out earlier, the the offensive line is um, they they are hurting with injuries, and so I think like especially considering that like uh, the the defense it's just going to be prepared for a run on first down, second down, even third. Like they they know what's coming, they know um, what David Shaw likes to do very like on on the one yard line in the red zone, um, and I think Stanford just we have to get more unpredictable. What really stands out to me about that is that in those six plays in the red zone, Stanford managed to lose a yard in that first half. Wow. On the other hand, Stanford's next opponent, the Bruins, the fact that they rely heavily on their offense is an understatement. In their lone win, the Bruins' defense allowed 63 points and 720 yards. The UCLA quarterback story is that of a higher-ceiling, worse-performing Dorian Thompson-Robinson starting over Austin Burton. At running back, Joshua Kelly has been a workhorse, and Demetric Felton has shown big play potential. The offensive line is basically non-existent and has allowed eight tackles for loss and three sacks last game to Oregon State. What is most worrying to the Stanford fan about this upcoming matchup? The most worrying thing for me is the upside of Dorian Thompson-Robinson. This is a guy who was recruited as uh, the second overall dual-threat quarterback coming out of high school right after Justin Fields, who's a Heisman candidate and who very well could be starting for an NFL football team within three years. Uh, this is a guy, as a, as a Las Vegas native, this is a guy that I've, I've watched for many years, and the guy absolutely shredded teams in Las Vegas and in all around Nevada um, as a runner and as a passer. Now, this season he's been... Um, it's not, it's not an overstatement to say he's been horrendous as a rusher. Um, he had three back-to-back games where he had uh, 
where he had ne- negative yards rushing uh, for his first game starting. Ten yards for negative ten attempts for negative twenty yards rushing. His second game, seven attempts for negative nineteen yards rushing. And these performances just showed that he, he, thus far defenses have been able to figure out how to stop him, and he hasn't really shown that he can he can take off uh, in college yet. But as a passer, I mean, in that in that um, Washington State game, he showed that he can deliver deep threats, and that the the UCLA uh, wide receiver core has enough speed to get it done. So he hasn't. Dorian Thompson Robinson hasn't hasn't exploded onto the scene yet, but I think it's it's going to happen soon. The Stanford fan just hopes that it's not against us. I mean, I, I would say he did have an explosion game just a few weeks ago at Washington State. I mean, he goes from a few horrible performances to open up the season to then going into Pullman, a place where we've seen Stanford's dreams of, of great seasons go to die. And Dorian Thompson-Robinson comes out of that game as the Pac-12 Player of the Week after throwing for over 500 yards, has five touchdowns through the air, two on the ground. But you're exactly right, Sean. Like That is the one uh, aberration on uh, a stat sheet that is filled with a lot of really bad performances. You know, he's just shown a total lack of consistency, except the, the scary thing about UCLA is you know they do have that, that next gear. And Demetric Felton is one of the best playmakers in the Pac-12. He's basically torn up everybody they've played. He's a guy that if he, if he gets loose, I mean, we've seen Stanford struggle with speed uh, at the UCF game on that one. Um, and, and USC as well. They've really struggled with fast and athletic wide receivers. Well, Demetric Felton is another example of a guy who can do it running and passing, or excuse me, running and receiving, and I think that uh, that's the kind of guy who's given Stanford trouble over the years, and so they're going to have to find a way to keep UCLA in more of like the the Cincinnati performance where they you know put up 14 points on a group of five team or put up 14 points on another group of five team in San Diego State rather than that one Washington State game where they put up 67. Yeah, I think um, as Sean was talking about with Dorian Thompson Robinson, he ha- he does have the potential. Like he was heavily recruited out of high school, um, and I think he he ha- he's had his moments and he's had big games, um, but he has been wildly inconsistent. Um, I think he's going to look. I think UCLA though and Chip Kelly they're going to be looking to this Stanford defense and seeing how uh, inconsistent the secondary has been performing and see that there is the potential for. Um, possibly a breakout game um, for Thompson Robinson to really show off the skills that um, had him so highly recruited coming out of um, high school. So I think I think that the quarterback is definitely the the thing that um, I would most be worried about for uh, as a Stanford fan. Yeah, another quick thing to note is that Dorian Thompson Robinson got injured in their in UCLA's last game against Arizona, and he just returned to practice yesterday after after injuring his leg. So I think it's it's reasonable to say that we shouldn't that the Stanford defense um, shouldn't have to expect too many uh, boot plays or, or running plays. So they just really need to lock up the passing defense this weekend or this Thursday. Sorry, next Thursday. Because this is the bye week, I want to take a deep foray, uh, a brief foray into the future of the program, especially recruiting. Um, five-star offensive lineman Miles Hinton, four-star wide receiver John Humphreys, and this past weekend, four-star defensive back Aiden Hector have all committed to the 2020 class. Also this past weekend, 
four-star 2021 quarterback Miller Moss was one of the many recruits to visit the farm and see the impressive win over Washington and was offered after the game. The class is already one of the better ones in the country. How would you like to see the recruiting class fill out to set up Stanford for success in the years down the road? I think it's okay that I think having a four-star 2021 quarterback in Miller Moss, um, we have Davis Mills for next year. Like he, Davis Mills has shown potential. I don't think that getting a quarterback is super pressing for this upcoming class, but I do think it's really good that um, having this five-star offensive lineman, having a defensive back, like those are areas that have been uh, weaker for Stanford this season. And so I guess I would uh, like to see the class fill out more with those sort of players and then um, you know, maybe Davis Mills can show um, show more of his full potential behind like a better offensive line. And if he doesn't have to be on the, f- yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. I think it, it definitely. I like how this class is is rounding out at this point. Um, and like you said, I think the four star quarterback Miller Moss would be huge. But I think a great thing for Stanford. Not only do they have Mills coming back next year, we would presume. Also, Tanner McKee, who was the uh, key recruit in the 2018 class, but he then went on a mission with the LDS Church, and so he'll be back joining as a true freshman next season. And he really might be the most talented Stanford pastor to come through here in a long time. Uh, if it's not him, it is Davis Mills. Um, but McKee, is, he's 6'6", 220 pounds, so fantastic size, huge arm, Stanford beat out Alabama, Texas, and Texas A&M, and Washington to get this guy. And obviously because he goes on a mission right after he signs, not necessarily um, a guy that people remember, but when he gets back on campus, I think he's going to turn a lot of heads. And so he's pretty much another member of uh, the recruiting class for next year. And at the same time, I think uh, Miles Hinton is – a really huge get for Stanford because we've seen offensive line depth is a huge problem. And uh, he's a five-star according to Rivals and one of the top three offensive tackles in this entire class. I do think, though, that they need to emphasize filling out more depth on the offensive and defensive lines. Uh, You know, it's great to have some guys like Hinton or like Foster Sorrell and Walker Little, but... Any offensive lineman can go down in any week, so you just have to have uh, that next man up mentality and the personnel to execute that mentality. I think right now Stanford's down to six healthy offensive linemen. That is a totally unsustainable situation, and I think obviously they've been bit harder in the injury bug in that department than any team in the country, but there's really no excuse for not having enough offensive linemen on campus to field a successful unit. So... I think they they would love to sign three or four offensive linemen in this class, maybe two or three defensive linemen, because I think one area where Stanford's had a bit of a drop-off in recent years, haven't seen as many truly elite defensive linemen like Solomon Thomas and Harrison Phillips, who just completely changed the game uh, from the D-line. That's something that almost every national championship contender has, is a great defensive line. So more depth more elite talent on the D-line, and then I'd be really happy with this class that's already looking really good. Yeah, agreed. It's really, really great to see that uh, that we're recruiting some offensive line depth. And Miles Hinton's great. Connor McLaughlin out of, out of Florida is also awesome. There's a offensive guard out of, out of St. John Bosco, Drake Metcalf. It's just really, really great to see that Stanford's investing in the offensive line. But yeah, to your point, King, there, there's only... 
it looks like one commit in the 2020 class along the defensive line, and that's really really concerning for a team that's looking to to uh, to stop the run and create pass rush. It's it's great to see offensive line depth, but we're going to need some more defensive line depth. And you mentioned Tanner McKee um, on a two-year mission in Brazil right now. Back in his day on the farm, David Shaw took a class in Portuguese. You know who he took that with? Tiger Woods. So a uh, wow. little bit of a connection there. I also took Portuguese. Um, so I'll be talking to all of them. One last thing before we go. I just want to mention that the IM League schedule has been put out. Oh, my. The Ink Bowl practice is getting started. I'm really excited for this three-year losing streak we're on right now. This year, we're taking it really seriously. Have our first matchup next Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. against Twaining Gibbias. It starts now. You know what starts now? Next starts now. Cal, if you're listening to this, and I'm not talking about the Cal football team. I'm talking about the daily Californian football team. You will never see a team more prepared, more motivated, more physical, more tough. I have more. To- I should say tougher. You'll never see a scarier team than this Stanford Daily Ink Bowl team we're going to put out on the field on uh, November 23rd, 2019, in either Roble or Wilberfield. Something you know on on one of the many grass areas at Stanford. I'm telling you, if you write for the Daily Californian. I think you need to drop the section before that game because you do not want to have to come out against this team. We've got a lot to prove. I've got a risk to avenge. And uh, this is definitely going to be the marquee matchup on that weekend. Forget about big game. Uh, The Ink Bowl is where it's at. Yeah, we've got our blockers hitting the gym. They're on strict diets, like very protein-heavy. I would be terrified if I was a writer for uh, the Daily Californian. Thank you all so much for joining me on this first edition of the Cardinal Court. Hopefully we'll get to do it again. Thank you. This episode was produced by Chloe Bro, Laili Rosvani, Wong Gi Jung, and Daniel Martinez-Krems. To hear from other Stanford Daily podcasts, go to stanforddaily.com slash podcasts. <laughs>